Now, while our lesser allies hold, we will burst the bonds of Earth and on celestial wings fly into where the dark folds and the light fractures, where space hangs in tatters like an old sock and ramparts of dreams rise up forever to wrest power and victory from the beast's own jaws. My name is Conrad, along with my co-host Drew, and welcome to the 39th episode of Stranger by the Dozen, the weekly podcast where we recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, six issues at a time. How you doing this week, Drew? Doing great. Big, Re- big, big uh, number 38 here. Yeah, man. Getting very close to that 40, and with it, oh, man. the implications of 50 being on the horizon. Ooh. And Doctor Strange is getting super evil, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and on any fine podcast app. You can contact the podcast at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com, on Twitter at strangerbythetwelve, on Facebook or Instagram by searching for Stranger by the Dozen, or on our podcast network site, cradline.com. All right. So we're still in Strange Tales Volume 2, Drew. Uh-huh. It's still Doctor Strange and Cloak and Dagger hanging out, doing their magical things. Nothing wrong with that, man. Eh, it's all right, I guess. I feel yeah, like... There could be more Doctor Strange. Yeah, I mean, having like tw- like 11 or 12 pages per story kind of compresses things in a way that I don't know if American comic book writing really benefits from it, you know? It, I don't you, know. You want to know the answer? Yeah. It doesn't. You're right. I mean, <laughs> I do, you know, we do uh, Space Spinner 2000 here on the old network as well, which is about uh, 2000 AD, which is, you know, a weekly comic where every story is told in five or six page chunks. And they do a pretty good job of it, but it's a very different setup than the way, but like the way they tell their stories in England in like those kind of comic books is a little different than the way we tell stories here in American ones, you know? Dang, man, I'm just going to throw that out there. That seems really compressed. It's, I mean, it makes it really fun. Like, there's just constant cliffhangers and tons of action and stuff. Um, it takes a little getting used to, but it's very interesting, I think. You know, check out the show, whatever. Yeah, no, <laughs> listen, listen to the other podcasts, and I also hear that there's a mighty fine wrestling podcast out there somewhere. <laughs> We're working on it still, you know. Um, anyhow, <laughs> to the business at hand, Drew. And enough of of my viral marketing attempts. Um, (laughs) Let's go to Strange Tales 12 from March 1988. We'll start with the Cloak and Dagger story. Blue Skies, T. Austin, writer, W. Portacio, penciler, B. Wyacek, inker, G. Wright, colorist, C. Potts, editor, T. DeFalco, editor-in-chief. So, they've decided to brand this issue the Hard Fall issue. Mm. Which, I feel like some of these falls are more metaphorical than others. Mm. You know, Cloak and Dagger starts with a non-metaphorical fall, with Dagger falling out of an airplane. Okay. The pair were on the trail of night and day, the uh, henchmen of Mr. Jip from last episode. And uh, they see Cloak and Dagger teleported onto, like, a hospital plane where Day was getting important medical stuff done. And unfortunately, uh, Knight threw Dagger out the door of the plane, and now she's falling. 
I'll mention oh, that dang. that uh, Day's medical stuff is apparently pretty serious because he'll never appear in the Marvel continuity again, as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Anyhow, what's actually important, though, is that there ends up being some fun sort of teleporting stuff with Cloak because he's got to, like, pinpoint where Dagger is as she's falling, and that's hard because, you know, she's moving in a constant straight line and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when he finally does catch her, he's got to figure out a way to safely stop her from falling because, like, she kind of falls into his shadow dimension and then continues falling at the same, you know, at the same rate that she was falling at from the plane in his alternate dimension. Hmm. So, like, you know, he catches her, but if he, when he popped her out, she'd come out of the cloak, like, at terminal velocity or whatever and still sort of street pizza, you know? Right. So I think there's some interesting thing of sort of establishing some rules for like Cloak's teleporting abilities. But eventually he sort of absorbs a bunch of water from the ocean and manages to catch. And that sort of absorbs her momentum. Although um, it also almost drowns Cloak so they kind of have to save each other. And, you know, standard Cloak and Dagger ending, I'd say. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, the Punisher is looking for drug dealers to kill. And uh, like Cloak, he do, yeah, like exa- he do exactly. I think this is the first Punisher on this comic, which in our podcast, which in means fact that it is we're now fully a Marvel podcast because we've had Wolverine, Spider Man, and the Punisher on the show. Although we haven't talked about Deadpool yet, but whatever. I don't think Deadpool exists at this point in 1988. Oh, that's right. He's more of a like a 90s thing. Yeah, like I don't even think like like Rob Liefeld is in the company yet. You know, mm, like, good point. X Factors still mutant hunters. Like Cable isn't even involved yet. <laughs> um, right, and there's not a gratuitous amount of pockets and poorly drawn feet and hands. No, because like I, I so on Facebook I posted a picture of Cloak confronting um, Mr. Jip and Knight and Day and uh, all those guys, or of of Dagger confronting Mr. Jip with Cloak and then Knight and Day. And I said it was the most 80s comic book picture ever just because, like, Knight's in this full-body fishnet bodysuit and then both um, Day and Dagger had, like, these power mullets, you know? <laughs> but what made it not the 90s picture was that their feet, everyone's feet was clearly visible and no one had any pouches, so. <laughs> yeah, once we start seeing more pouches, then... Yeah, oh. exactly. I don't know if that happens to Doctor Strange. We'll keep an eye out. But uh, I really anyhow, want to think about it. Yeah. I don't want to think about it. Anyhow, Cloak and Dagger could cl- get falsely ac- implicated in drug dealing, which means it's now basically time for your standard superhero showdown where there's a misunderstanding and they fight and they team up. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Over her- overhearing this for some reason is kid superhero team Power Pack. So they're in the mix, too. And, you know, whatever with this power pack. And who cares about Cloak and Dagger? Because we got to get to Doctor Strange, and it's real good. Uh, yeah, make, make me, make the mightier yet. Peter B. Gillis, writer. Dan Lawless, penciler. Randy Emberlin, inker. Janice Chang, letters. Bob Sharon, colorer. Carl Potts, editor. Tom DeFalco, editor in chair. So, hey, we're still in England. We're going to stately Bentley Manor where our old friend Victoria Bentley can't sleep. Despite the help of her butler, Catherwood, (laughs) to assuage her fears, 
She uses like a big crystal ball, to, or a big crystal, I should say, to scry for evil upon the land. But when she does, there's so much evil that the crystal straight up explodes and Catherine has like fire extinguisher and stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. How, how could this be happening? Like, that's pretty... Stephen. It's pretty cool, but not as cool as when they head outside and a thousand crazy demon monsters descend from the sky upon the manor. And then in a lightning strike, Doctor Strange arrives as well. Looking haggard, man. Like, yeah, he, he's looking rough. Haggard. You know, like the, he's got the seven o'clock shadow and the uh, and the eye patch and stuff. She, Victoria is incredulous as to whether Doctor Strange is who he says he is, but eventually she accepts it. They make out, and Victoria swears her love and loyalty. So they make out again, but when they do. Uh, Doctor Strange starts to drain her of her magical powers, even after she, like, resists and, like, says no. So she's, like, saying no, and he's, like, still making out with her. It's very uncomfortable. That's, and This is all kinds of bad. It's it's pretty bad. I mean, I th- honestly, this doesn't seem as bad as using a five-year-old child as a suicide bomber against their, against their will, but it's still pretty bad. Um, like, definitely... On the same level, I'd say. Doctor Strange sucks all of Victoria Bentley's magical power out of her and out of her uh, mansion and manor and stuff. So it's like burning to the ground as Doctor Strange rides off. It's a real jerk move, man. Yeah. He asks for forgiveness and we see that he's wearing the amulet of the the hungry cloud or something. The one that we saw the uh, that was causing a bunch of evil like murders and stuff in China a couple episodes ago. He's getting real. He's getting real evil. But now it's we're we're heading to the big showdown where evil power will be required, <laughs> and that takes us to Strange Tales thirteen from April nineteen eighty eight. Disorderly conduct. Terry Austin writer, June Brigman penciler, Bob Wyacek inker, Ken Brusnack letterer, Glennis Oliver colors, Carl Potts editor, Tom DeFalco chief. I just want to point out that there's a lot of like character logos in the front of this comic book. Yeah, man, because it's got Punisher and Power Pack and Cloak and Dagger and Doctor Strange. Just all kind, just all all over the place. <laughs> hey, you know, you got to keep it busy. That's my motto. Just get everybody <laughs> buying these comic books. You know, uh, you got to let people know what's going on so they buy the comic book. <laughs> sure. So most of this story is like the Punisher hunting down Cloak and Dagger while Power Pack tries to stop him. I'd say, hands down, the best part of this comic is when, um, is how they have, like, sort of the standard, like, Punisher's War Journal narration for the comic. But then there's also a competing, uh, Katie's War Journal for Katie, for the, uh, the kid superhero <laughs> Katie Power. <laughs> and it's kind of, like, written in, like, kid handwriting on, like, loose leaf paper, basically. So, you know. It's it's just all over the place. It's fantastic. It's kind of like it's kind of cute and funny and like you know whatever these bunch of kids doing stuff fighting Punisher basically or not fighting him but sort of inconveniencing him like one gets small and like messes with his engine with the engine of his Punisher van and stuff like that. It's, Anyhow, it's definitely yeah. a uh, Ant Man and in in Iron Man's helmet moment. Really. Yeah. <laughs> It's your conscience, Tony. You haven't spoken in a long time. That's oh, the man. best line from that movie. <laughs> so uh, 
so besides the Punisher stuff, we meet Dagger's like Catholic priest uncle, who's fixing up the the church that that they're staying in. And then we get a teaser of like some other storyline where the green-skinned supervillain Mayhem escapes from a mental institution where she's been talking to Father Delgado, who's this um, crazy priest from like the Cloak and Dagger graphic novel. I don't know, you know. Um, the issue ends with the Punisher confronting Dagger and his uncle and her uncle with a sweet Uzi, and as Power Pack sort of warns Cloak of the coming danger. Anyhow. <laughs> we move to Ascent into Hell. Mm. Peter B. Gillis, writer, Richard Case, penciler, Randy Emberland, inker, Janice Chang, letterer, Bob Sharon, colorer, Carl Potts, editor, Tom DeFalco, editor in polyester. <laughs> Tom DeFalco is going crazy with these uh, funny, with these like humorous editor in chief names. That's definitely uh, not, true. Not only that, but just like the opening page for this for this story is it's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Strange. I'm moreover looking at like the weird monster dragonfly thing that Doctor Strange is riding. Yeah, Doctor Strange rides through the sky on the back of a screaming dragonfly with an army of flying uh, like nature spirits. Yeah, but it has like a like a normal human mouth, so it just kind of yeah. like it's going. <laughs> I love it, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's a screaming dragonfly. That's what I have in my notes, and I feel like it's a very realistic. Um, evaluation (laughs) accurate so there's this huge portal in the sky where uh where that a kalu is barely keeping closed um until strange is now powered up from sealing victoria's magical ability manages to slam the door shut to buy them time with their powers combined strange and kalu summon the uh the power of dragon fire and travel through the realms of chaos in the form of a flaming missile they cross a ton of realities, finally landing on a barren landscape. Kalu can go no further. They're in a place of incredible chaotic power where even like the great demons of Earth like Mephisto or Satanish would be like mice. But Doctor Strange as Sorcerer Supreme can go on. He must go on, even if it means betraying everything else but the cause to save the universe. Doctor Strange continues, he casts a powerful spell that summons, like, a a being? Like, I guess is a demon. He's dressed in kind of a fantasy style with gray skin and flowing blonde hair. And the demon seems pretty amused at the concept of being called a demon, basically. (laughs) And he's basically, he's like the underboss, essentially. You know, you gotta fight him to get to the real boss. And it's quite a fight, Strange and this underboss have a wizard fight. It starts with a huge sword just going straight through Doctor Strange's chest. But it turns out that's an illusion, Strange, and Strange puts him in a headlock and, like, whatever. But it's clear that this power, that this demon is incredibly powerful, like, uh, infinitely powerful. And there's no way that Doctor Strange could ever defeat him. Luckily... Doctor Strange doesn't need to defeat him, and instead he drains the demon's power completely. This leaves what was once Stephen Strange all Uh, alone, now uh, with the long blonde hair of the demon he's defeated, (laughs) and more powerful than ever, but his personality shattered. 
<laughs> Listen. You guys got to get on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and check out all the blonde Doctor Strange pics that I'm going to post you, this week. You absolutely need to see this. You owe it to yourself to see Doctor Strange with, like, really long hair. Like, not, like, beyond shoulder length, flowing blonde <laughs> hair with his with the handlebar mustache and the eye patch. It is a distinctive look. It's it's something. <laughs> but he's ultra powered, but also because he's absorbed this super powerful guy, it shattered his personality. Doctor Strange is no more. But the task remains. What was once Doctor Strange approaches the end of the journey, a huge tentacle mountain kind of thing, like a mountain that kind of looks like it's made out of tentacles. And it turns out that it is because mm. when Doctor Strange challenges this mound, the mountain's massive eye opens. And boy, God, it's Shumagorath! That's oh, Shumagorath's mu- music! <laughs> and that takes us to Strange Tales number 14 from May oh. 1988. Now, Shumagorath is looking much more like he did in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Oh, yeah. No, this is a more classic Shumagorath. Well, let's do Cloak and Dagger, and then we'll get right to the Shumagorath stuff. I'm going to do it real quick. Disorderly Conduct, uh, Terry Austin Writer, June Brigman Penciler, Bob Wyatchek Inker, Ken Bruzenek Letterer, Glennis Oliver Colorist, Carl Potts Editor, Tom DeFalco, Awake, Honest. So I just want to point something out in the cover yeah, really fast. Please. Uh, specifically the Cloak and Dagger portion of it, where it <laughs> says, and Punisher has a talk with Cloak and Dagger. It has this written as uh, Punisher's pointing a shotgun at Dagger. Yeah, he talks uh, we, we he all talks know how loudly. Punisher, yeah. We all know, know how the Punisher talks to people. <laughs> Absolutely. But honestly, they do have a talk. <laughs> like, they don't fight. Or they fight like a teeny tiny bit, but it's mostly like Punisher's like, okay, I believe you. I won't start shooting guns, basically, which is a huge bummer to your buddy Conrad. I was hoping to see some uh, some fighting, but whatever, I guess. Um, Dagger visits, then the rest of it's like Dagger visits Crazy Father Delgado, and it turns out that he's sold his soul to Mr. Jip, I guess. And then Power Pack has like a birthday, and Cloak reads one of the Power Packs a bedtime story, I guess. There's some more stuff with the investigation into May, where like there's a police detective investigating mayhem, but I don't care about any of this because Doctor Strange has long blonde hair and he's about to fight Shumagorath, <laughs> and that's very important to me. <laughs> um, which, what <laughs> you know, it is. <laughs> Which takes us to Apogee, Peter B. Gillis writer, Richard Case penciler, Randy Emberlin inker, Janice Chang letterer, Bob Sharon colorer, colorist, Carl Potts editor, Tom DeFalco, around somewhere. So, <laughs> it's Shumagorath! We'll de- Drew, you'll remember Shumagorath as like the big bad guy from when Doctor Strange came back from being canceled in like 1972, 1973. Oh yeah, totally. Weird uh, big squid. Space Squid. Yeah, Space Squid. Episode yeah. 8 of the podcast. Um, back then they said that Shumagorath was, came from uh, Robert E. Howard. And we were like, 
I feel like he comes from Lovecraft, but I don't know why you aren't crediting him instead of Robert E. Howard. But they aren't crediting yeah. Shimagorath as being, being created by anybody this time, so don't even worry about it. All right. <laughs> Anyhow, now uh, Shimagorath is back. But instead of Doctor Strange being a humble mage in the face of an impossible chaos being, this blonde guy that used to be Doctor Strange is now roughly Shumagorath's equal, even though he's had to travel the darkest paths to get there. The two of them exchange magical blows, with Doctor Strange holding his own, even as his body begins to twist and mutate from chaos energy. To regain the upper hand, Shumagorath su- uh, summons an image of the Earth and begins to ply his deadly chaos energies upon the sphere. Uh-oh. On Earth, the sky fills with fire and fear claws the hearts of humanity. Uh-oh. Yeah. Strange tries to halt the attack, but as he does, this leaves his defenses down. Shumagorath strikes at Doctor Strange, and this hits the Earth even harder. Uh, random mystics bleed from their eyes and feel pain. Even known copycat Doctor Druid, get out of oh, here, Doctor Druid. Doctor <laughs> Strange, or the being that was once Doctor Strange, cannot both defend Earth and destroy Shumagorath. He has to one or the other to be a protector or a destroyer. And he makes his choice. Throwing the flaming globe of Earth at Shumagorath, a symbol of his embrace of death and destruction. Shumagorath explodes in fiery light and the day is won. With his enemy defeated and Earth saved, the being once known as Doctor Strange with both his eyes as hollow holes picks up a sharp piece of rock and drives it into his throat, lying still upon the barren surface of this alien plane. Holy crap! <laughs> Man, well, this podcast had a good run. He beat the crap out of Shumakorath and then he killed himself in space! Oh, what a way geez. to go out. What a way to go out. Yeah. Even more so when we continue to Strange Tales 15 from June 1988. First off, it's uh, Gathering Dusk. Terry Austin writer, Dan Lawless penciler, Bob McLeod inker, Ken Brusnack letterer, Glynis Oliver colorist, Carl Potts editor, Jim Shooter editor, or uh, Tom DeFalco, I should say, chief. So there's a lot of little stories in Cloak and Dagger this month. Dagger spent some time with her stepfather, who doesn't know her secret identity. Uh, the detective that's been hunting mayhem this time, Detective Rebecca Nales, continues to look for his, her friend, um, who is mayhem. Dagger's priest uncle meets with Father Delgado for some more prayer action, but doesn't realize that Delgado is giving himself over to Mr. Jip. And finally, um, it looks like Mayhem herself has found Cloak, and she sort of starts a pitch of, like, we aren't so different, you and I, which then turns into a please kill me, I'm too evil to live, which then turns into a let's make out. It's kind of complicated, like, set of pitches, basically. I don't know, the, the whole please kill me, I'm too evil to live thing, that's kind of like some really deep stuff to do, be dealing with. It's tough. Uh, it's definitely a weird. It's definitely a tough take. And with um, the previous issue featuring Doctor Strange actually killing himself because he feels too evil to live. You know what I mean? Man. <laughs> so, also, Cloak gets a note from Mister Jip, 
who is collecting on the debt that Cloak owes him for that evil black cube that the pawnbroker that was Mr. Chip was, was pretending to be that he sold to Cloak last episode. Um, for the record, I'm not super comfortable with all these puns about Mr. Jip's name that they are making in this uh, comic book. I don't know. Jipped again is pretty good. No, dude, that's not a cool whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> Dr. Strange story on having no head. Peter B. Gillis, writer, Richard Case, penciler, Randy Emberlin, inker, Janice Chang, letterer, Bob Sharon, colorist. Carl Potts editor, Tom DeFalco, Buddha in chief. So, uh, we open with an old man version of Kalu in some kind of Asian themed world as like a seeker slash monk kind of guy who sits on the path to Buddha and gets like alms or whatever. He's surprised when one day the people uh, shout and say that the Buddha is here. And it's a blonde, eye-patched Doctor Strange floating in lotus position. Oh, boy. Kalu starts screaming like, that's not the Buddha. You guys are stupid. And that manages to wake them both up. Where back in reality, we see that uh, we're back to where Kalu quit the journey because he didn't go any further. And Doctor Strange is just kind of uh, barely speaking like Husk, essentially. Strange explains that to defeat Shumagorath, he had to become Shumagorath, and then he had to renounce being both Shumagorath and Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. So now the being that was once Doctor Strange is even more so no more. His ego has been completely destroyed. He's just an empty husk, full to the brim of deadly magical energy. Mm. Like... Basically, he's just given off magical energy like sparks off a bonfire right now. But I you... have a question. Yeah, hit me. So let's say, okay, Doctor Strange's ego is no more, yes? Yes. The same thing happened to the Ancient One, and he became one with the universe. That's right. Mm. Some, something, something foul afoot here is... I feel like this is the bad version of doing that. You know what I mean? Oh, dang. Like the good way of having of losing your ego is you become one with the universe. The bad way is you just become a a blonde atomic or a magical a bomb just waiting to destroy the earth. Did you almost say a blonde atomic Superman? I've said a I said a bunch of things. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so Kalu basically realizes that. If Doctor Strange came went to Earth now, he'd give off enough magical energy to destroy galaxies in our reality. So instead, he leads Doctor he leads what was once Doctor Strange through a whole bunch of different realities. In each one, he sort of bleeds off magical energy. But it's not happening fast enough, and Doctor Str- and, and Kalu keeps trying to con- re- help Doctor Strange remember who he is, what his vows were to save the Earth, to protect the Earth and stuff. And they make it partway, but not nearly enough. Doctor Strange is just sort of like, ah, the Earth, it's got some problems. Who cares? Kalu, I have all this blonde hair. I don't know what to do with. Blonde hair don't care. Literally, you know. <laughs> um. Kalu contemplates that the effort to bring Doctor Strange back might actually kill him, and he's about to take that leap and sacrifice himself to do so, when Enthramon, who was the mystic weaver who fi- who fixed Doctor Strange's cloak a few episodes ago, shows up. 
and he's here to collect for fixing the cloak. His price, Drew? Yeah? That Doctor Strange go back to being Doctor Strange. That sounds... Okay, that sounds beneficial. Yeah, that's a pretty good good uh, trade, honestly. Yeah, no, that, that sounds good. Yeah. So, it's time to get to work. Uh, Ethramon knows... Uh, Enethramon knows what to do. We've got a pattern to weave. Hmm. That takes us to Strange Tales number 16 from July 1988. Cloak and Dagger's story is bitter obligations like an unmade bed. Which, I don't know. Uh... Terry Austin, writer, Dan Lawless, penciler, Bob McLeod, inker, Ken Brusnack, letterer, Glynis Oliver, colorist, Carl Potts, editor, Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. So, uh, basically the deal that, the deal that uh, Mr. Jip made with Cloak combined that with some inside information that Jip has picked up about Cloak when they were briefly bonded basically allows him to be able to force Cloak to betray Dagger to him, to Jip. Mm. Meanwhile, Dagger has a heart-to-heart with her priest uncle, and it seems that Knight, the, uh, one of Mr. Jip's henchmen, is wandering New York City, finding bad people, then stripping the evil out of them, causing them to like basically give up their possessions and devote their life to doing selfless stuff. But then they kind of come to a day or two later and are like, oh, no, like I used to be a pimp drug dealer, but then I sold my Cadillac and all my jewelry and now I'm a monk and I'm penniless. Oh, no. What have I done? (laughs) You know, like, oh, I'm a rich, evil accountant guy. And but I gave up all my money and then I became uh, like a guy that digs um digs wells in third world countries and stuff. Oh, geez, what am I going to do? <laughs> um, or, you know, yeah, like I'm a drug dealer and a gun runner. And then, but I turned, I sold off all my stuff and I uh, confessed to the police. And now, but suddenly I woke up and I'm evil again and I'm in prison and everybody wants to kill me in jail. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Anyhow, all this st- and sort of dark sort of wandering around you get just sort of glimpses of her fish netted arms and boots and stuff as she does so oh sorry and uh, there's a little bit of fish netted butt if that's what you're interested in anyhow a little bit it's like a side butt really yeah so anyhow cloak ends up taking dagger to the location that jip provided and then leaves her there to be eaten by shadow monsters while he is in turn imprisoned in mystic chains by mr jip it's bad times. You can't trust these evil bad guys, dude. It's pretty rough, man. Who would have thunk it? Yeah. Take us to the Doctor Strange story. Go ask Alice, Peter B. Gillis, writer, Richard Case, penciler, Randy Emberlin, inker, Janice Chang, letterer, Bob Sharon, colorist, Carl Potts, editor, Tom DeFalco, outstanding in his field. Mm. And uh, we're somewhere in the Midwest where a disguised Kalu, Rintra, and Anithraman arrive at Stephen Strange's boyhood home. They How give... do we know it's his boyhood home? We see a the smiling vicious, a visage of a Stephen Strange in the background with his eye patch. Yeah, but, regu- but his regular Doctor Strange hair, and what looks like, I would say, um, first they try to draw, draw a regular mustache, and then they remember that Doctor Strange has a handlebar mustache, so he kind of has two kinds of mustaches going on at the same time. <laughs> um, 
I mean, that's just what it is. Um, <laughs> they give some excuse to the current lady living there about being doctors on their way to a convention and that the unconscious strange needs to lie down momentarily. When oh, the, he got rid of his blonde hair. Yeah, well, they managed to depower him a little bit so that his hair has gone back to normal. When the lady who owns the house goes to make a cold compress, our magical dudes get working on trying to reconnect Strange to Earth and thus not be a crazy blonde magical nuke anymore. Uh, they try to do this by having him live out old memories, first with his sister Donna and then with various girlfriends he's had over the years. But none of them are serious because old school Doctor Strange was a cad. Oh, yeah, he's, he's super jerk. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. he, like, flares up and becomes, like, like his hair, like, has got, got flaming blonde hair and stuff and looks really cool. Uh, and they, um, eventually, they, Anthramon and Kalu are able to t- uh, team up and find one memory of a red-headed co-ed from Strange's college days. He seems to be on the edge of losing control again, but then he relives the experience of first meeting her, introducing her to this woman. Presumably this is Alice, just because of the title of this comic. Um, But we don't really know much about her, except presumably she's dead just from when, a couple episodes ago, when Valkyrie visited Doctor Strange for Valkyrie-related purposes, and she was like, mm-hmm. you know, you'll see your family, you'll see your lost loved ones, including Alice. And we were like, who's Alice? And I guess this is Alice. Oh. But we don't really see much except for Doctor St- except for St- uh, Stephen walking up to her and saying, like, hello, I'm Stephen Strange. And that's kind of it for the memory. But it seems to be enough to allow Strange to um, reconnect to Earth and become regular Doctor Strange again. Which is good times. Hey, he's back, and he's not blonde anymore. Yeah, victory in Strange Town. Yeah. This takes us to Strange Tales 17 from August 1988. Desperate Straits. Terry Austin, writer. Dan Lawless, penciler. Bob Wyacek, inker. Ken Brusnack, letterer. Glynis Oliver, colorist. Carl Potts, editor. Tom DeFalco, another editor, only bigger. So Dagger, oh, Tom DeFalco, what are you doing, buddy? He's just a silly Billy, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Dagger runs away from all the shadow monsters that are attacking her, while Jip gloats to the imprisoned cloak. I mentioned that cloak is basically imprisoned by he's sort of just standing around. And there's like a big, like metal collar around his neck. I want to say, and like that, or like sorry, around his forehead, and then that forehead collar is chained to the ground. I don't think it's a very practical way to tie someone up, honestly. Sorry, everybody, we had a technical difficulty in the middle of our taping, but let's continue on. Um, We were talking about how Cloak is tied up by Mr. Jip via a big chain around his head, and I feel like the reason for that in the end is that um, Cloak doesn't really have a body beyond the actual Cloak itself, so you got to attach chains and stuff to his head, because that's the only part of him that really exists, you know? Oh, yeah, he is just really kind of a floating head over a, a black void. Yeah, it's tough times. Yeah, it's rough. So, anyhow, just real quick, 
Um, Dagger starts fighting back against the, the uh, shadow demons, but it turns out that this was all part of the plan by the evil knight. And she greet and knight greets Cloak with a very excellent, um, like, hello, enemy, as they begin their fight. And that's kind of the cliffhanger for them. And then Cloak disappears from his chains and he's teleported away, only to be caught by some nerdy kid with a teddy bear who has summoned a demon to be a slave. So, like, now we've got Cloak, who's a black superhero, as a slave to some white kid. So This feels, this feels bad. It's going to end super well, I'm sure. Anyhow. Uh, sure. <laughs> next episode, Dagger vs. Knight, Evil Thrall of Mr. Jip, and Cloak vs. Lamar Plotnik, Terror of Mrs. Tobin's Nursery School Class. <laughs> <laughs> So this takes us to the final Doctor Strange story of this week. The old man came rolling home. Peter B. Gillis writer, Richard Case penciler, Randy Emberland inker, Janice Chang letterer, Bob Sharon colorist, Carl Potts editor, Tom DeFalco, title inspiration. (sighs) So it's the wrap-up story. Uh, Strange, Kalu, Enthramon, and Rintra all roll up to Kalu's suite at the Plaza Hotel. And while Strange disapproves of this show of wealth, he can't really do anything about it. Yeah. The otherworlders prepare to leave, and Rintra hands the Eye of Agamotto back to Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange and Kalu part as friends, and Strange returns to the Sanctum Sanctorum, which is still in fancy spa mode. It seems that in his absence, uh, Wong's betrothed, Mei Chang, has returned, has uh, arrived to New York City. And so that's something I guess we'll have to deal with uh, eventually. Yes. In his suite, Doctor Strange suits up and prepares to dissolve all the brainwashing he's done, or at least kind of as it relates to Wong and Sarah, he's going to keep the global brainwashing in place because he's still got some stuff to do. That'll be easier if everybody thinks he's dead. <laughs> He he halts before he does so because everybody seems so happy and like does he does he deserve or like you know is it his right to return them to the dangerous lives they've led as his friends slash servants and at the end he decides that like they've sort of stuck with him this far so they're probably down with it and he returns their memories the restored Sarah and Wong rush into Doctor Strange's room and embrace him and it's finally and he's finally home it's time for a new beginning and that's it for the comics this week Drew all right. So I think there's one key question that we should talk about a little bit before we end the show. And What's it's, uh, that? Do you think Doctor Strange earned his redemption? No. Like, it's a really big question. I, I kind of agree. It's a really big question the letters column basically for the rest of, of Strange Tales. Like, he's done all this stuff, and like, yeah, he lost an eye. And like, yeah, he kind of died and lost his ego and stuff like that. But like... As an evil, as evil Doctor Strange, he's done some pretty despicable things, you know? He he killed a lot of people. He killed a lot of people, especially turning that kid into a suicide bomber, like, against the kid's will, and then he, like, stole, he violated Victoria Bentley stealing all of her magical powers and stuff. Yeah, that's, that's really not cool. And it's not like Doctor Strange will <clears throat> have lost this eye for a long time, you know? Yeah. He'll he'll have lost it within the next three episodes of our show, you know, or he'll have gotten the eye back within the next three episodes of our show. Yeah, I, I don't. Mm. 
Like, it's definitely a big question. It's sort of one of these things where it's like, you know, I'm not some morals, like, I kind of read an interesting thing about this on uh, the website, uh, supermegamonkey.net, which I, where I, <laughs> I, I read a lot of uh, comic book recaps and stuff. But they kind of talk about how, you know, it's not like being a, mor- like, it's not like everybody's a moral scold, like Doctor Strange shouldn't be able to kill people or be sort of do questionable stuff. But when he does that, that makes him a questionable guy. It makes him more like the Punisher than, say, um, Superman or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like, and I guess a lot of the ble- this, this black magic period of Doctor Strange's life doesn't get out very much, but it's something that, for me, kind of col- is going to color the character for a long time to come. Like, he, he can be pushed to a point where he'll give up his vows and sort of do things that are, if not explicitly, implicitly evil, and often explicitly evil, too. You know, yeah, I, I, don't know. I just feel weird about it. It's... Yeah, yeah, it's a challenge, but I think it's also sort of a bold story idea for Gillis. Like, I feel like this is a a brave sort of story to try to tell with this character, and I'm interested to see. You know, and it's fun to sort of see how it goes and the fallout that we'll deal with for the next couple months and stuff like that too. But oh well, you know, it's how it goes. Yeah. I guess that's the sure. way the uh, the arc mage's eye breaks or something like that. <laughs> Sure, why not? Yeah, anyhow, if you'd like to contact the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook and Instagram at strangerbythedozen. Find us on Twitter at strangerbythedozen and on our podcast network site at cradoline.com. During the week, I'll post a bunch of images from these issues, so keep an eye out. You're definitely going to want to see blonde eyepatch Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, that's something you definitely need to see. Yeah, Doctor Strange is... Or Stranger by the Dozen is on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Google Play Store, and on any other podcatching app. Tune in next week as we wrap up the effects of this storyline and then start to finish up Peter B. Gillis' run on Doctor Strange as we escape the two-story format and return to Solo Strange with the comic Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme. Once again, uh, old enemies and new friends will appear including the rightful king of England. Oh, also Cloak and Dagger do some stuff, and it's like, whatever, you know. Yeah, sure, know. whatever. You know, we'll see yeah, the Fantastic yeah. Four in a really down period of the Fantastic Four when um, when Ben Grimm's in his pineapple format. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you seen Pineapple Thing, Drew? I, I don't think I have. Man, you know it when you see it. Um, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Anyhow, until then, faithful listener, I say... Let the eye of Agamotto assume its rightful place at my throat. And now, by the grace of the Vishanti and the power of Hogoth, let the light let the light shine forth. For here, once again, I stand, returned to the light, Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts. My name is Conrad, and for my co-host Drew, this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide your path.